Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Corey Matthews. Corey is the founder of Straight Up Realty Group, a real estate homeward brokerage that focuses on helping people buy real estate outside the city, as well as helping people in Toronto sell their properties at fair commission rates. In my interview with Corey, we discuss affordable places to buy real estate outside the GTA, owning a rental property without the responsibilities of being a landlord, and the benefits of working with a property manager. Without further ado, here's my interview with Corey Matthews. Hi, Corey. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thanks. So you weren't always a realtor. You have quite an interesting journey there. Can you share it with our listeners? Yeah, so from a, from a young age, I wanted to be an actor. So I auditioned for the York Theatre Program, got in. And in the, in the beginning, first year there, they do kind of a, an open program where you do a little bit of carp work, you do a little bit of set building, you do some acting classes, and you do some bunch of other stuff. But I really got attracted to the carp shop and, and building and doing the sets. So I, uh, at the end of the year, I, uh, I applied to just do that for the last three years of my university career. So basically, that's what I did. I got into set building in second year and started basically uh, running a crew of first years. What I did in the first year, I got a bunch of first years. So I had to uh, learn patience and uh, problem solving skills by teaching these first year actors how to use power tools and not cut their fingers off while also meeting deadlines and stuff like that. Taking a lot of those problem solving skills and put them into my real estate. But yeah, and then in, in third year, I, was, uh, I looked around. I was in my summer job. I was welding for a company in Scarborough. And, uh, you know, I looked around at the people I was working with, looked around at the people in my, my industry. But, you know, they didn't seem as happy as they, as they could be. So I thought maybe this isn't a career that I should pursue and maybe I should look at something else. At the time, I wanted to get into real estate. I, I had a few, you know, saved a few dollars and I wanted to start getting into it. So I approached a realtor to uh, kind of teach me the ins and outs of real estate, uh, but looking at a tw- young 20-year-old with uh, not very much money and uh, barely a job, <laughs> he, uh, he told me to take a hike. So from there, I, I basically I started doing the real estate courses starting in my last year of university, and then I finished them by the uh, that first summer that I finished and was a realtor by the next fall out of university, and then just kind of built my business from there through uh, ups and downs. <laughs> But yeah, and maybe you could tell us about your journey from when you first got started to where you are today and how that went for you. Yeah, so when I first started, I met a guy in one of my classes and his dad was a realtor. So I thought, okay, that would be a, a good start considering uh, everything they teach you in, in real estate at the beginning in sales is going, look at your sphere of influence, look at your, you know, the people you're touching and your people you're closest to. and you know, see if you can make a sale to them. 
And at that point I was 22 and just graduated from theater production. So I had a bunch of uh, uh, great actor friends who couldn't afford barely the rent they were paying. <laughs> so, um, so from there I, I joined their team and that was a bit rocky because um, it, what I didn't realize was most of their clientele was, you know, Spanish or uh, Spanish speaking. And I, don't speak a lick of Spanish. So that was interesting. Probably doesn't help a lot. Huh? <laughs> yeah, no. So, uh, so that didn't really work out. So I, uh, I moved on from there after about three months. And I went to Royal Page Signature, where I met a guy named James Roy. And he's a commercial agent there. He sells apartment buildings. And that was probably the most beneficial move of my career. Because what he did, he told me to basically just meet with people. Don't worry about the selling. Meet with people and learn what they do in real estate and how they how they own real estate and what they look for. So those were, those were pretty interesting meetings. So I met with some hedge fund managers, some fund managers that uh, own a lot of real estate. Uh, some of the major private owners in Toronto that own some of the biggest apartment buildings. And I just sat in, in their offices and I chatted with them about real estate and what they did and their strategies. And then from there, uh, I took what I learned from him, moved on about a year after that, after getting uh, you know a bit burnt out from the hours and just a couple of situations that happened uh, and then moved on to working with uh, a mentor named Brad Lonsbury, who put me on a construction site for six months and I learned how to build a house from the ground up. So I worked with uh, everyone from the guys digging around the foundation. I actually waterproofed the house myself, um, got covered in that black, nice black tar. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I, I got the coffees for everybody. So everybody liked me on the site. So the electricians showed me what they were doing. The plumbers showed me what they were doing. I watched the HVAC guys. So I learned a lot that was necessary. So I look at houses completely different than somebody you know, that has, doesn't have that experience. It was brutal for the six months doing it. But now looking back, it was probably the most, uh, the most beneficial experience that I've, that I've learned. And then fast forward three years of working with Brad on the real estate side. And yeah, now, I, now I've created my own business. I'm going out on my own. And using all those little pieces of experience to basically uh, make it easier for younger homeowners to buy, but using the strategies of the wealthy. And speaking of the strategies of the wealthy, are there any strategies that you learned from speaking with those highly successful people that could be applied to the residential real estate market and even younger folks? I think real estate really is a basic thing to understand. The, the most frustrating part of it is the patience that you need to take to, to get where you're going, right? So a lot of these guys started with very little money. You know, some of them had some family money, but most of them started with very little money and they bought their first building with a huge risk, you know, huge. And a lot of these guys lived in their buildings when they bought them. So they bought it. They were the manager. They did everything in the building. And once they got it profitable enough, then it just snowballed and they bought another one and they bought another one. It's it's one of those things where you look at somebody with a huge real estate empire and it seems, how'd they get there? Well, it all started with the first purchase, the first house. So that's really, you know, I, I've learned from that in the sense of at sometimes it's frustrating because you're saving and it doesn't seem like you're buying anything and you, you know, you're missing out on opportunities, but if the patience will pay off and just keep doing, you know, keep following those steps. And that's what they basically said, you know, it was just, you know, you start with a good property and you buy it, and then you never sell. That was the other trick they taught me, was you lose money on the sale because you have to pay so many extra fees. So the longer you hold something, the smaller those closing costs become, and the better the investment is, generally. 
So a lot of these guys just kept buying stuff and they'd never sell it. So if you started buying stuff in Toronto in the 70s and you never sold it, you'd be sitting on millions and millions of dollars right now. And the nice part is the whole time you, you barely had to pay anything because the tenants were paying for everything for you. What makes real estate so powerful is the fact that you can use leverage, which, for example, if you're buying a property, you can put as little as 5% down and the bank will put up 95% of the financing. And if you hold on to that property long term, chances are it's going to go up in value. And think about it, you only initially put down perhaps 5%, but you can end up with pretty decent return in the hundreds of percentages if the real estate market even goes up with the rate of inflation or even goes up four or five percent, I mean, there's no guarantee. But if you tried to do that same scenario of buying stocks or ETFs or something like that, I, I don't think the bank would let you only put five percent of the money up and then they would put the other 95 percent. So I think that's really what makes real estate powerful the fact that you can use leverage like that in a smart way. Oh yeah, I, com- I completely agree. The leverage aspect of real estate is actually one of the most attractive parts of the asset class because you, know, you can get generally 7% to 10% in the markets pretty, not easily, but you know, the right, with the right you know, financial advisor, you can find those types of returns. Whereas in real estate, the leverage really, really, help, really helps you get that. So w- what our investors are finding is they're getting about 5% in cash flow and about a 10 to 15% investment return on their down payment and that's before appreciation. Appreciation, your, your, your property is going to go up and down in value, right? But the key thing that I, I look for is what is that rent to purchase price doing? And is my rent going to cover my monthly costs and give me a nice good return, right? So it's actually giving, um, you know, with, with the investment real estate we look at, you're benefiting in two ways. You get the leverage on appreciation, but you also get the cash flow and the investment return from the rent of the property you're buying. That sounds like a great approach yeah. and certainly appreciation and the cash flow are two great ways to make money. I, certainly myself, I wouldn't really feel comfortable buying a property where it had a negative cash flow, just assuming that it would appreciate in value. So kind of having those two income streams, so to, to speak, certainly helps. Yeah. You'd be surprised at actually how many people buy <laughs> negative cash flowing properties. If you look at the, the investments into the Toronto condo market currently, uh, if you run the basic numbers on, you know, market rents compared to what you're paying in, in mortgage costs, like the interest costs and the maintenance fees, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to find cash flow, even positive investment return on, on condos without accounting for appreciation. So it's an interesting time <laughs> in the market, that's for sure. Definitely. And that actually ties into my next question for you, which is a lot of millennials feel like they can't afford to buy a home in Toronto, but you've come up with a creative way for them to not only live in Toronto, but still invest in real estate. Can you tell us about your unique approach? It kind of started when uh, my girlfriend and I moved to Toronto uh, from university. Well, we went to York and then we moved down just outside of Greektown. We moved into the basement apartment there and we were looking for places to purchase and condos to purchase. And at that time, you know, we were making about 45,000 combined coming out of university. You know, we were renting this little basement apartment and we were looking at condos. And even back then, uh, about five or six years ago, condos were still expensive and nothing was really in our price range, especially with that type of income. We started this kind of strategy of, you know, let's rent in the city where it's cheap from working with James and learning about apartment buildings. I knew about rent control on buildings built before 1991. Uh, now rent control is up to 
to date up to 2017 now. Everything built prior to 2017 is now under rent control. But back then it was 1991 and our property was under rent control. So it was great. So we knew our fixed costs were only going to go up a certain, you know, 2% a year for our living expenses. So we knew that. So we, it was very easy to budget. So we built the strategy to start buying investment properties outside the city. So we started by buying our first property. It was a town, small townhouse in Listowel, Ontario. And if, uh, if you don't know where Listowel, Ontario is, it's where uh, the show Leonard Kenny is filmed. Or not, not filmed, but it's about the guy. The guy that wrote the story is from Listowel. And it's very telling of the area. <laughs> Listowel is a great area, but it's, uh, it's a very small town. And well, I grew up in a town similar to it. So I related a lot to, uh, to the market. Yeah, so we, so we bought our first place there. And then, uh, we, you know, I, I wasn't really marketing the idea yet because you know, I had talked to a few friends about it and they were interested, but I, I didn't really know there was this need until uh, the Toronto market went up again and again and again, year over year, about uh, 20%. And it was just becoming more and more obvious that it was getting unaffordable for people. And I was talking to a lot of my friends and they were saying, yeah, you know, we can only afford 400,000 and then looking at the market in Toronto, especially nowadays, 400,000 buys you, you know, an, an old condo outside on the outskirts and, uh, you know, maybe a bachelor downtown. So, you know, doesn't buy you any detached home. You're barely going to, you know, I doubt you'd even get a yard for 400,000, even in the outer ring of the GTA. I thought this idea, you know, I started talking to more friends at the parties and, and just kind of playing, you know, telling them about my experience with buying properties and, you know, about two years after that, we bought our first one. Adrian and I bought a, bought a second place in St. Catharines. And it was the first place, first time I had looked at St. Catharines market. I noticed that while everything else was appreciating, St. Catharines was only going up about 2% at a time. But okay, this is interesting. If it's not appreciating that much, maybe this is an opportunity because this is one of the only cities I've found that has houses that you can buy detached that, you know, at that time where this was two years ago, three years ago, uh, were $200,000. Right. So I started looking for markets like this and I found Brantford, Cambridge, St. Catharines, Niagara. And I also found this interesting thing was that their rent to purchase price was the best ratio I could find. Right. I looked for an investor from Oshawa going all the small towns all the way around the GTA, including Cambridge, Kitchener, Guelph, all those places. And uh, at that time, St. Catharines had the best rent to purchase price ratio. I think at, uh, at the time, I actually sold that investor. I sold him a fourplex for three ninety one. dollars This was two years ago. And the same week, I sold a condo in Toronto that was 660 square feet for $352,000. So, and the difference in rent was uh, the fourplex was getting $3,200 in rent and the $352,000 one bedroom condo was going to get about $1,600 in rent. So when I looked at that, I was like, okay, so for $45,000 more, I'm getting twice as much rent. So this, that was the key number. So then I, I started teaching people, okay, well, this strategy works. Adriana and my uh, properties kept going up, the rents kept going up, and they were easily paying the mortgages. And we were even cash flowing about $250 a month extra to put into an account just in case for, you know, if the roof goes or anything like that. When it started working for us, I realized, okay, this is actually something that I could teach people to do and, and, you know, really help them afford home ownership in a different type of way. And uh, so, yeah, so for the last two years, I started doing it. I started unrolling the idea. And then uh, last year in February, I think uh, it was just before the market in Toronto corrected quite a bit in, in April last year. 
I went into the office in February and I was fed up and I said, I'm not, I'm not selling anything else in Toronto for the rest of the year. And I, I think I sold maybe two more, but mostly my main focus was taking people down to St. Catharines because I, I just felt like the Toronto market was overpriced, over, overvalued for that time. The one thing that really caught my attention was we were looking at a townhouse in November with a client. And then we looked at the same townhouse in February of 2017 and it had gone up 33% just in that short period of time, like over that three month span. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. And when that happened, I said, okay, this isn't, this isn't regular growth. This is, this is hysteria. So let's wait until everything kind of cools off here. And when, when people have, have thought things through a bit more, and then that's also when they put in two things, right? They put in the foreign tax buyers, but then they also about six months later put in the stress test. The stress test, even though people wanted to pay more, stopped people from paying more. And then that took huge effects on the market, right? And that, that's kind of what's going on right now. And it, it feeds into my strategy even more so because now if you make about $100,000 a year combined income, which is a good living, right? Like, I mean, I'm from a small town. People that made $100,000 a year owned very nice homes and drove very nice cars. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good living. In Toronto, you can barely afford, you can't even afford a house. You can barely afford a condo with the new mortgage rules. So taking that into account and going, okay, how many of my friends are actually making that type of money? Okay, they're gonna need to buy houses outside the city and they're gonna benefit from this idea. But knowing their lifestyle, they're not gonna to wanna to not live in the city because they wanna go out with friends and, do, and still have that, you know, that young 20, 30 year old life where you're going out with your friends and enjoying the, the nightlife of the city. So I thought, okay, here's the best plan buy investment properties outside the city like Adrian and I do and still rent in the city where you're close to all your friends and close to the nightlife. And it works out a lot, uh, you know, for a lot of people. I unrolled it about two years ago and I've seen my investor base grow quite a bit and they're all very happy because they have the freedom of a rental, which allows them to move whenever they want. If they wanted to up and leave the city, they could. And we have a management staff in place in, in these different markets where they can invest let the manager take over all the responsibilities for a, for a small fee per month and sit back, back and relax knowing that everything's basically taken care of for them. They can go on vacation. They don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And they're in a really good spot. I really like your strategy because you get the best of both worlds. You can not only invest in real estate, but enjoy the nightlife, as you mentioned in Toronto, because I know so many of my millennial cohorts have given up on the dream of even owning a condo in Toronto. So the great thing about you is not only are you living proof because you've actually implemented the strategy yourself, you can actually help millennials get into the market and start building up that equity. And then perhaps one day they can move into the city. But it just goes to show that the dream of home ownership is still alive. If you're in the Toronto area, you just have to be a bit more creative about it. Definitely. And it, I think, you know, it's also changing the way our parents thought about home ownership, right? It's, it's not like our parents' generation where, you know, you'd buy a starter home, you'd pay down the starter home, and then you would sell that and upgrade, sell that and upgrade. That doesn't work as well when you're buying a house, you know, your first house in Toronto is $750,000, right? Our parents' starter homes were <laughs> like a hundred thousand dollars right i think my parents started home when they first bought their first place in kitchener Waterloo was fifty thousand dollars right so it was years ago however i mean it's just uh and you know the incomes weren't the same 
but the incomes weren't that much different, right? I think my parents were making a combined income of about forty thousand dollars then, and they bought a fifty thousand dollar home, right? And they, you know, <laughs> Adrian and I got out of university, we were making about forty five thousand dollars, and we were able to buy a hundred thousand dollar home in Listowel, right? Not even in the city where we wanted to live, right? So it's a bit of a different a different strategy nowadays. And I think I think we got to be creative with how we we look at home ownership, and also the the idea that uh, it seems like younger people are are starting their lives later, you know, having kids later. This strategy allows you to not get tied down to a specific location by owning a your own personal home, because you're owning an investment. It allows you to kind of move. You know, you could move to a completely different city and still own that investment property because you have a manager in place, right? It's uh, it's just a different idea. I mean that that is part of the reason that Adrian and I are doing the same thing because we don't know. You know, she's from Vancouver, I'm from Kitchener Waterloo originally. So to think where we're going to start a family in our mid twenties, you know, we we can't even begin to think of where we're going to move. So we thought, okay, best thing to do is let's start buying investment properties. We'll get the appreciation and and the benefit of real estate, but we also get the flexibility of owning them as rental properties. We don't have to worry so much about, oh, are we going to live in St. Catharines? Are we going to make a home there? No, those are just investment properties, right? Like, where are we going to make a home? We're going to have that conversation later, <laughs> right? So, and that speaks to a lot of people my age and our age. And Yeah, I really like that because you don't necessarily want to be tied down at that age. And just using an example of, of one of my friends, she owned a property in London, Ontario, and she was living there. And then she got this great job offer in Vancouver and she was a nurse. So she ended up taking that and it was just kind of a headache to be a homeowner at that point of time because it kind of tied her down. So certainly uh, I I wish she had spoken with you and knew that there were other options out there. Yeah. she could still own it. (laughs) She could just be renting it, right? (laughs) That's the other, that's the other nice beauty of it too. And uh, most realtors won't tell you that, but sometimes the best option to do is just keep it keep the house, don't sell it if you don't have to and keep it as an investment. That's what I think at least. Great. So you kind of touched on this on your last answer, but I'm wondering if you can just elaborate a bit on how the arrangement with a property manager works, because a lot of people think that they have to be a landlord and take care of all the responsibilities of the property, but that's not necessarily the case. So perhaps you could tell us about how the relationship with a property manager works and also the costs involved as well. I have a couple of clients that work with a property manager in St. Catharines and they don't even have a car. They get down to St. Catharines about twice a year and they just depend on their property manager to do everything. And it, it works out really, really well for them. Property manager charges you, the property manager I work with charges about $75 a unit on a triplex. You're paying about two twenty-five dollars a month for them to deal with your tenants, basic needs, like, uh, you know, change the light bulb if they need it, or, um, you know, collect rent, serve notices if the, late, if the rent is late, you know, simple stuff like that. The way I, I value it to clients is if you have to drive down here, every time you drive down and back is about two hours, two and a half hours out of your day. For $225 a month, you're saving yourself at least minimum one trip down and back. And you're saving yourself the trouble of having to deal with the tenants and all that stuff. And the other thing, the other reason I think this is actually the most important probably reason to have a property manager is because most people are very nice, right? And, and it's great. You should be a nice person generally for society. 
But that niceness, some gets, times gets taken advantage of by the right tenant. They'll come to you and go, oh, I'm going to be late this month. Uh, is there any way you can give me till the 15th? So you give them till the 15th. You don't even bother giving them paperwork. And then they push it off another 15 days. So now you're at the end of the month. But you're nice. So you're not, you know, you're not, you're not giving them any paperwork. You don't want to show, serve them any notices or evict them, right? And then it prolongs your problem because now if this person, now if you haven't served any of that paperwork for a month, now it's going to take you another three months to get them out, right? Because it generally takes the longer, the quickest you can get a tenant out is about 60 days with the proper paperwork. And that's what the property manager helps you with. You know, they're doing a job. They're running a business for you and they're running your business for you. And uh, sometimes that gets mixed up a bit uh, when people own rental properties and they manage it themselves. Uh, you know, they get a little too nice and a little too soft on the tenants. You can be nice to your tenants and also run a very profitable business, but the business side has to come first. And with a manager, you get that. They know what they're doing and they're very business savvy. <laughs> so, and, uh, and they won't take, uh, take any crap from the tenants. And I'm just curious, does the property manager actually help you with the repairs and maintenance? There's always that typical scenario that they talk about how if you have a leaky pipe at 2 a.m., you have to deal with it being a landlord. But I'm just curious how the property manager would, would handle any major repairs like that. Yeah, exactly. So with, with the property managers we work with, we set a basic budget of what they're allowed to spend in the case of an emergency. So call me for anything above $250 or call me for any repairs over $500, right? So I have some clients that up to $500, they should say, just fix it for me, take the call and don't bother me with, with the problems and the calls at 2 a.m. That's normally what happens. The other thing as well that we've noticed and, and our managers do is we don't rent to students. We try to avoid renting to students. We really focus on renting to good, solid adults, 20s to 30s or older. And the, the perk that we get from this is that we find the older tenants are easier to manage because they know how to run a house. They know, okay, if there's a, if there's a faucet leaking, they generally know where the shutoff is. And then they'll call the manager and they, they know how to deal with things, the little tiny things that you're not gonna get a call at two in the morning very often. And our managers also focus on finding those tenants because our managers don't really like getting calls at two in the morning either. <laughs> but they get paid to deal with it so that you don't have to. Great, I'm just wondering, does the property manager help at all with screening tenants and actually helping you get a tenant in your property? Yeah, we actually, uh, our property managers are great for that. They charge you a little bit extra for that. So they charge you to find a new tenant. Uh, they charge you a half month's rent to a month's rent. And that takes care of all the screening process, the writing of the lease, negotiation of the lease. And generally, if that property manager is then going to manage the property, they're very, very diligent in who they pick because they realize that whoever they pick, they're going to have to deal with and manage however long that tenant stays. The screening process is, is key. And that's what we find is, is the number one thing you can do to avoid bad tenants is doing a lot of screening at the beginning including calling references and credit checks and even more so than credit checks and job letters and stuff like that. It's really about calling the references and finding out who they are and who they were at the last place, because that'll give you the true picture of, of who they are. I mean, somebody with somebody can have bad credit, but pay the rent on time every month and somebody can have great credit and be a professional tenant completely and completely walk away and leave you with a ton of unpaid rent. Our managers know what to look for and know how to read the information properly because they've, they've seen so many tenants and seen so many applications come in 
but it's just almost like a sixth sense. They can read people and, and tell who's going to be a problem and who's not. And I guess as the homeowner, you have the final say at the end of the day, the property manager can pick the ideal tenant for you, but I would assume that you'd want to meet them and make sure that you're comfortable with that person living in your property. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely up to the owner. I mean, so I, I, we have some owners that trust the managers completely and don't even need to meet the tenants. I personally am a bit more of a hands-on type owner. I, I like to meet all of the tenants and know their names and everything like that, because I find it more personal. <laughs> if you're living in a house I own, I would like to know what you look like and look into your eyes, but <laughs> just to see what type of person you are. But uh, yeah, I mean, we have some clients that uh, will just let the manager pick it completely. So we, you know, we have all that, uh, both types of options. You can be as hands-on as you want or as hands-off as you want. Oh, that's uh, great to know. Now, quickly, I just wanted to ask you your perspective on markets around the GTA. Now, you mentioned St. Catharines early as well as Brantford. Are there any other markets around the GTA that you see as good long-term investments? Yeah, I mean, I, I think every market's going to have its ebbs and flows. And right now, we're going through an interesting time in the market. I personally think Brantford and St. Catharines are, are great purchases right now. But I also think, you know, Kitchener and Waterloo are going to be great long-term buys. I think that city that, you know, the Tri-Cities down there is expanding rapidly. They have their own robust economy. I visit my sister down there quite a bit and I've never seen more traffic coming into that city than right now. So I think that a lot of positive things are going there. I think Guelph, again, is another city that's benefited like a lot. I think Hamilton used to be the big talk of everybody investing, investing, investing. And I think Hamilton is going to continue with that. I just don't think we'll see the same drastic growth we've seen in Hamilton that we have in the last five years, mainly because it's already gone up so much in the last five years that people are even finding it hard to afford Hamilton now, right? Because people just kept getting pushed out further and further throughout the suburbs, right? So people in Mississauga, you know, Oakville's always been expensive. And then you got pushed out from Oakville to Burlington. A lot of my friends are buying in Burlington. Now Burlington's getting expensive and that's getting pushed people to Hamilton. But all the people that originally lived in Hamilton sold out and got pushed down to St. Catharines or Niagara, right? So we're seeing this kind of this mass migration of people getting pushed out further. And I honestly think with the immigration that we're getting into People like to say Toronto, but you know we're getting about 100,000 to 200,000 people coming into Ontario. And you know if you just look at that number logically, I don't think you can say that that many immigrants are going to be coming with wheelbarrows full of cash, right? There's a lot of those people are going to be working class people, you know, making fifty, sixty thousand dollars, competing for the same types of jobs that everybody else is competing for, and they're going to have the same problem on the affordability aspect. They're going to be looking outside the city as well. And with the go transit and different transit lines coming in and getting better, I think owning outside the city, I think the prices are going to keep climbing out there due to several, several reasons, right? The go trains going out there. So it's easier to get into the city for jobs there, but also technology is advancing. People are doing more shared space, shared working environments because people don't have to come into the office every day. People can come in three days a week or two days a week. And if you only have to come in two days a week and do that crazy hour and a half in hour home commute, you can handle that two days a week if the other three days a week you're working at home. The advancements in technology and the advancements in public transit are going to drastically change the landscape of how people buy real estate. 
over the next, I believe, you know, I think 20, 30 years here. And I think Canada on a world scale is a very attractive country. And I think that's represented really by the multicultural, you know, the diversity we find in Toronto. So that's why a lot of immigrants first come to Toronto and then they get pushed out to these outside cities. So, you know, I think Toronto market is going through a bit of a bit of pain right now. I think it'll continue to rise over the next 10 years here. We're going to see it. We're going to see it coming back. I think rising interest rates are going to push people again outside the city for the next five years. Like I, I, over the next five years, I would break it down that I would think that the cities outside will do very well because they're affordable and people actually want people in Canada generally want a detached home. We're buying condos and people are buying condos in the city at a necessity, but the dream is always been, you know, a fenced yard, right? That you can have your, you know, pet plan if you want, or your kids plan. It's just that kind of idea that everybody was always really wanted a yard. And if you can't find that in Toronto, we're seeing younger people getting pushed out, you know, to St. Catharines, Grimsby, Niagara, Cambridge, Kitchener, you know, the list goes on and on. I think what, if you're looking at investing right now and you're worried about a particular market, I would say just look at the price tag of, of the average property there and just ask yourself who can afford that. Right. Like if you go to towns like Brooklyn, where there's just tons of really big homes for 1.2 million, they're great, beautiful homes. But if you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year and a person making a hundred thousand dollars a year can afford around $500,000. Okay. Well, look around at your friends, look around at the jobs that are available and go, okay, how many people are making enough to afford a $1.2 million house and how many $1.2 million houses are out there? Okay. Maybe it's not the best idea to buy a $1.2 million house. It also opens you up to the most risk because you have such a big mortgage and with interest rates rising over the next few years here and likely they're going to come back down, but rising by the Bank of Canada, you know, they're probably going to rise another half percent to three quarter percent over the next 12 months. How many people can afford to, to take that bump, right? And three quarter percent jump is amplified when your mortgage is a million dollars versus when your mortgage is 300,000. I think there are a lot of great markets out there outside the city. My focus for my clients right now is cash flowing markets such as St. Catharines, Brantford, Cambridge, and Hamilton on occasion when we can find the right deal. I don't really look east. I find east, you know, Oshawa, Bowmanville, Ajax, Pickering, they saw a lot of appreciation and they're really commuter cities. And I don't find them to be that open to rental because a lot of Ajax is new. So not, not a lot of rental stock was built. So it's hard to own a triplex because there's just not very many triplexes to purchase. And it's, it's hard to make the numbers work because the prices are too high for what you can get in rent. Oshawa, there's still some options, but I don't know. I mean, somebody could say this about St. Catharines. I'm just not a fan <laughs> of the city. I don't find it charming. And I mean, I, I, that's part of it for me. If I'm going to pick a city to invest in, I, I, gotta, I have to find it charming. Otherwise, why would I tell somebody else to invest there? Corey, it's been great having you on the show before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? I recently, my, my partnership that I've been with for a little over four years, and I'm starting my own, my own team under Real Estate Homeward. Our brokerage is Real Estate Homeward, but uh, our team is going to be called the Straight Up Realty Group. 
And what we focus on is helping people buy real estate outside the city, as well as helping people in Toronto sell their properties at fair commission rates that make sense for both the agent and for the seller involved. So I've worked with a manager very closely in St. Catharines, and she's going to help my clients and be kind of for my a strategic partnership with her uh, to help my clients benefit from investing outside the city. Great. And how can people get in contact with you? Best thing to do is either call me or text me at uh, my cell phone, which is 416-720-9414. Or you can email me at coreyfmatthews at gmail.com. Great. So if you're interested at all in implementing Corey's strategy, certainly he's a great person to speak to. So certainly feel free to reach out to him. So great. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Corey. It was great to chat about real estate with you. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Sean. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host and money coach, I'm also a licensed mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, coworkers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. You can reach me by email at seancooperwriter at gmail.com or you can call or text me at 647 867-3711. Also, be sure to head on over to www.seancooperwriter.com and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. You can also sign up for a free one-on-one 15-minute money coaching consultation with yours truly. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you burn your mortgage sooner too. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.